<laughs> but they do look, but Bernard, can I just invite you up? Could we give Bernard a round of applause and a microphone? Fantastic. Thank you. These are really comfortable chairs, aren't they? Oh. They're very nice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, did we have something to do? No. We just rest in the Lord for a while. Um, so, uh, Bernard, thank you so much for travelling down from Nottingham. My pleasure. Yeah. Uh, this morning. I feel it's the first time we've had a genuine Anglican vicar with a genuine dog collar I, I in our midst. Apologize. So we, I'm very no, sorry. We, yeah, we, we feel... <laughs> Uh, we feel that that is a, a wonderful thing. So um, what we're going to do is, uh, instead of a sermon that this morning, we are going to have an interview with, with Bernard. And um, the reason that we're going to be doing that is because you are not allowed to preach, Bernard, are you? That's correct. You would be breaking canon law if you stood up okay. here with a Bible and started preaching to us. It would be against the law, yeah. Right. Remarkable. But we will understand why that is in a moment, okay? But, Bernard, you were a chaplain in a school in Nottingham. Could you just tell us your... Assume that we know nothing of your story, but could you just tell us, as best you can, what happened, the sequence of events? Of course. Well, it's, it's, a, it's quite a long story, so I'm, I'm bound to miss bits out. But the... oh, we got till four o'clock. I think that's okay, when we said right. we were going to finish, so it's fine. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Might just have enough time then. Um... <laughs> I was chaplain in a school, an independent school, um, with a Church of England foundation. And as a Church of England minister, I was the chaplain at the school. And in September 2018, it's a, it's a long story, um, the school brought in a, a charity uh, called Educate and Celebrate, who on, on the, the very surface, they said, we're, we're here to help tackle homophobic and, and biphobic, transphobic bullying in schools. Now, I don't think the school had a problem with bullying particularly. I mean, every school has to deal with bullying. It's a, it's a part of life. But there wasn't a particular problem, I didn't think. But anyway, they brought in this group. But the, the underlying thing that they don't advertise quite so much is that their aim is to embed gender, gender identity, and sexual orientation in the life of the school. So to embed that in the school is more than just the surface level bullying. So they came and did a staff training event, and as part, and bits of it were fine in terms of not allowing bullying and making sure that we, we reflect in the curriculum. You know, instead of it's always Peter gave Jane two apples and he had five. How many does I have left? We make it Abdul gave Aisha two apples. No big deal. But there was also this this underlying um, very aggressive LGBT uh, idea. One of the things that the leader of the training said in terms of the protected characteristics in the Equality Act, which you have to have regard to, um, she said that they include gender and gender identity. And they don't. That is a lie. That is a barefaced lie. They include sex, not gender, different things, and gender reassignment when people have surgery. That's not the same as gender identity. And she also had the staff at one point in the training smash, uh, chant about the need to smash heteronormativity. And if you don't know what heteronormativity, I can't even. Say I was it. just about to say, can Rolls you explain that heteronormativity? Yeah. Um, good luck. Good luck if you don't know about it, because heteronormativity is the idea that basically the heterosexual couple marriage is the foundation of society. Now, we might think. 
well, yeah, of course it is, because it is, and that's just the way it is. And whatever massive percentage of people are heterosexual, end of. That's just it. But to smash heteronormativity is to create space for people who identify as gay, lesbian, trans, queer, all of these other things in the alphabet list that they produce by destroying the, the normal way of doing things. So there's no normal anymore. Break everything down and then everyone has their place is kind of the idea. But of course it can't work. I mean, it's utter nonsense if you stop to think about it. Break everything down and you have chaos. You don't have a better world. But anyway, that's their agenda. And, and I could go on for hours about how that's based in, in a Marxist reading of the world. Um, this isn't probably the time and the place. But anyway, that, if you want to learn more, look up cultural Marxism and LGBT and, and you'll, you'll find stuff. So I was a bit uneasy with this agenda, okay. as you might imagine, as a Christian. And I went to school leadership and I said, um, hang on, the, the anti-bullying stuff, that's fine. But this gender identity and stuff, that's going to be a problem. We need to have a conversation about this. And they said, yeah, brilliant, we'll do that. They didn't. Sorry, this was in an Anglican, in a church, church with, a, a with an Anglican, Anglican foundation. Uh, a school with an Anglican foundation. Um, I subsequently found out that the school didn't really realise what that meant. Um, later on in the story, the, the head teacher was giving evidence in court. Um, and he said, until these events happened, it hadn't occurred to me to think what it meant to be head of a church school. Oops. Um, if I'd known that before I started, things might have gone differently. But anyway, um, so the school is, it was founded to educate boys and girls in accordance with the Protestant and evangelical principles of the Church of England, um, which I think is perfectly clear. Apparently they had not a clue, and the governors neither. So they didn't talk to me about it. They just instituted the whole programme. And I picked up from staff and from people's various bits of disquiet. And eventually, um, every summer term, I would ask the pupils for their suggestions for topics for, for chapel sermons. And, and one of them said to me, Sir, can you talk about how come we're told we have to accept all this LGBT stuff in a Christian school? And I thought that's a really, really good question. Because it's not which is right, which is wrong. It's not even what do Christians think about LGBT stuff, but how come we're told we have to accept, have to? So I gave a sermon, and I, I started off with the um, example of Brexit, where it seems to me that for Brexit, some people voted on the economics of it, and some people voted about the democratic self-determination. And it's, it's the economics or the democracy. Those are the sort of two big things. And it's not like one is right and one is wrong. They're just different ways of seeing the world, different value systems, different ideologies. So I said, just like Brexit, it's not right and wrong. It's just what you feel, it's where, you, where you are. So it is with the LGBT stuff. There are disagreements. You don't have to accept someone else's ideology. You, you don't discriminate against people. There's no excuse for abuse or personal attacks. But when it comes to ideas, you make up your own mind. That was a radical thing to say, apparently. Make up your own mind. So, for example, many or most Christians would disagree with LGBT activists on the idea that you may believe that marriage is properly only of a man and a woman for life. You may believe that biological sex is real, can't be changed, and does sometimes make a difference in society. 
And you may look at gender identity language and think, that doesn't make sense, it's incoherent. The things they say can't all be true at once, therefore it can't be more than partly true. Um, which is quite moderate, because I think none of it's true. <laughs> but I, I, allow, I wanted to allow them to make up their own minds. Uh, and I you know, re-emphasise at the end, respect the people you disagree with. Loving your neighbour as yourself doesn't mean you have to agree. It, but it does mean respect people, respect their sincerity when you're having those discussions. And again, no personal abuse or attacks. So for this dangerously radical sermon, note this, a Church of England minister in a Church of England school, in the Church of England chapel, in a Church of England act of worship, saying, basically, you may accept the Church of England's position on these things. May. I was sacked for gross misconduct. I was reported to prevent the anti-terrorism programme. I was reported to the local authority designated officer for safeguarding. Um, so that was a bit tough, to put it mildly. Can I just ask, did you know how contentious your sermon was going to be? Um, I, I thought it might ruffle the odd feather, because, because the school had introduced this educate and celebrate LGBT thing. Uh, and I knew that some members of staff were all for it, and others I knew were just don't want anything to do with it. Um, so I thought, yeah, okay, one or two might go, ooh, really? But I was very moderate, and I was very much, this is the Church of England point of view, you may accept it. I was doing my job in, you know, in accordance with my job description. So I didn't expect anything like the fuss that came. I thought my, my line manager might say to me, ooh, that was a bit close to the wind. And I'd say, well, yes, but you know, this is the Church of England's position. And do I understand that you, you asked somebody to check your sermon through first? Is that, is that correct? That's right. Not because I was in any doubt about what I was saying, because I knew perfectly well, because I thought about these things long and hard, um, just in general, but also in, in writing the sermon. Um, but I sent the, the text of the sermon to uh, a local theologian who happens to be on the Archbishop's Council of the Church of England. So kind of like a cabinet minister-ish for the Church of England. <laughs> Vaguely, it doesn't quite map. But, um, just to check with him, this is all exactly right. Not because I was in any doubt, but so that the, if the school got complaints, and in these times you know, people will complain about this stuff left, right and centre, if the school got any complaints, they could say, no, it's all right, it's fine, it's exactly what the church teaches, there's no cause for alarm. Um, didn't do me any good, because the school were more alarmed than anybody else, or the school leadership. Mm. Um, and it seems to me, and I can't entirely prove this, but I'm pretty certain, one of the members of the school leadership um, is a, effectively a trans rights activist, and is fully sold on the trans idea. And, and she, I think, was the driving force because I, I touched on the blasphemy of saying, you know, you, can, you can't change sex. I mean, that, that outrageous thing that we're not allowed to say in modern society. Um, so because I touched on that, because I, I talked about marriage being of man and woman previously in the church's view on uh, same-sex relationships without a blink of problem. Uh, but this was too far, as I later found out. I mean, I didn't realise at the time it would be quite quite as hot as it really turned out to be. So, before we go on to the, like the consequences and, and what happened like that, 
Can you just give us some insight into, was there a, was there a moment when you think, actually, this is enough, I, I need to make this stand? Or was it this general, um, because many of us will find situations where we're thinking, oh, we sometimes we welch out, you know, we think, oh, I should have said something, but I didn't. Yeah. But, you know, and there's often, it's a, a long journey, but there's often a moment, isn't there? And was there a moment when you think, oh, I need to, I need to stand up, I need to say this? Well, I, th I think it was when the pupil asked me the question that I knew I had to address it. Yeah. And I'd been mulling over whether to address it, how to address it. And um, when I knew it, something was going to have to give. I was going to have to make a stand at some point. Um, and I'd been thinking, you know, if the school actually publishes a set policy on this that I can then go and formally object to, that would be an appropriate way of dealing with it. Um, but they never did. It never actually became a school policy, which made it all the more surprising then when I sort of pushed back against it. I wasn't pushing back against policy as far as I could tell. Um, but yeah, when that people said to me, how come we're told we have to accept? And I thought, yeah, this is the moment where I can't duck out of my responsibility anymore. If, if, if one person is asking me this, doubtless there are others who are thinking mm -hmm. similar things. Um, and, and it's my job as, as school chaplain to address spiritual and moral matters from a Christian point of view. Um, and, and I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror if... I didn't do the job that I was called to do, and not just a secular job, but a, the job I believe God called me to do. Mm. So God put me in that position, knowing perfectly well what was going to happen in his providence. He prepared me for that, and he gave me the prompt, and I did it, and here I am talking to you. <laughs> Lucky me. So you, All you, works out well. You became a terrorist threat, yep. a safeguarding threat. Yep. Uh, a threat to the Church of England, and you, uh, because of, even though you're, you, you know, speaking the, the Church of England line, actually they have barred you from speaking. Yeah. And you had a case. You have a case for unfair dismissal with the school. That's right. So tell us, sure. brings well, up to speed. Well, uh, let, let me explain about the Church of England situation because um, not only did the school report me to the secular authorities, they reported me to the church safeguarding officer um, who, for whatever reason, didn't think that the Church of England's doctrine is a good idea. Um, and so they have treated teaching the Church of England's own position as a safeguarding matter in the church. So in parallel to all the secular stuff, and actually all the secular people in the end have said nothing to see here, there's no problem. The church, on the other hand, disagrees. The church knows better when it comes to teaching church doctrine is obviously a wicked and reprehensible thing to do. Um, go figure. So th there is an ongoing safeguarding investigation about me. Um, and they, they, will, they will move that forward if I accept that what I did was wrong and put people at harm. <laughs> and obviously I'm not going to do that. So we're kind of at a, a sticking point. Um, and when I lost my job, I lost... In, in the Church of England, when you're ordained, you have to have a license or permission from the bishop to officiate. And I lost my license because it was attached to the job. It was just went with it. So the job finishes, the license finishes automatically. Uh, and then the bishop was refused to give me permission to officiate because I'm a safeguarding risk. And once you're ordained in the Church of England, 
you can only preach or lead worship if you have permission from your bishop. So I don't have permission from my bishop, and it would be against the law for me to preach. So when, when I was first contacted about coming here, the invitation was, would you like to come and preach? And I had to say, well, I'd love to, but I really can't. And um, one of the th complaints I have against the church is that they didn't follow the rules in terms of what is and isn't a safeguarding matter. That there is this nice rule book, and the safeguarding officer thought, oh, I know better, threw that out of the window, didn't follow the rules in any respect as far as I can make out. So I can't very well complain about the church officers not following the rules if I don't then follow the rules myself. So almost as a reproach to the church, here I am not preaching because they won't let me. So a, a sort of prophetic sign act, I, I'm sitting here being interviewed when I would dearly love to be able to preach. You know, when you're, when you're called to ministry, preaching is one of the, it's the thing that's in your heart. And, and that piece of my heart is, it's tough. But here I am. God put me where I am. And he knows best. So I'll follow along and uh, praise his glory as I go. But it's not always easy walking the walk. What would you do differently? What would I do differently? If um, you given that you took a stand. I mean, I've seen, I've spoken to you, you know, a couple of times and I've seen some of the stuff online. You don't strike me as the overly confrontational type of person. I can be stubborn sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm I mean, sure. This is, I mean, so, so I've taken the school to court. I'm taking my bishop to court um, under the Equality Act for discrimination. You know, taking a Church of England school, a Church of England bishop, to court for anti-Christian discrimination. Shouldn't be able to make it up, but, but there we are. And, and it does take a certain amount of stubbornness to be willing to put yourself through that, because it's not been easy. Um, and it will be so much, in many ways, easier just to forget it all, move on with my life and, and put it in the past and go and do something different. But, of course, it wouldn't be easier because I wouldn't be being true to myself and true to my Lord. And would necessitate you saying that actually what you did was wrong? Well, and it would, yes, it would, that that, that wasn't what I was called to do yeah. or, or that was a, a, just some terrible mistake that I should, I'm not going to repent of, of preaching the good news. Not that I even really did that. <laughs> Because all I said was, you may believe the good news. I didn't even say you should. Um, and, and one of the things I perhaps regret, I mean, any time you preach a sermon, you look back at it and you think, oh, I could have said that a little bit differently. You might change the odd word here or there. So there are bits I might have changed. But, but actually, um, sometime afterwards, after I'd lost my job, I was, I was um, walking along the road near the school going to the dentist, as it happens, and I bumped into the lollipop lady who I would always talk to on my way into school every day when I still had the job. And she said, oh, I haven't seen you for a while, and I explained. And she said, oh, yeah, someone that else I was talking to said to me they wanted to get rid of you because you were too religious. <laughs> and actually, wow. yeah. Too That's outrageous, isn't it? it outrageous well, for a chaplain to be too religious. And How, how dare you do that? And, and actually... <laughs> Looking back, I wonder if maybe I wasn't even religious enough. 
maybe if I had been just a bit more emphatic about the gospel all the way through my time in the school, they, they perhaps wouldn't have been quite as surprised. Uh, and I went in, because I'm basically kind of moderate. That's why I'm in the Church of England, maybe. Um, <laughs> but, but I want to see both sides. I want to understand. You know, I'm, I'm a thinker and I, I, I want to... About understanding things is so important. And when you're speaking to a bunch of kids, most of whom are not Christian in any meaningful way, I, I want to show them that Christianity is, is thoughtful and, and coherent and it makes sense. It's not simply people using religion as a crutch to get through life, as so many of them think. Or only stupid people can be religious, as so many of them think. You know, um, I wanted to show them there is some more substance to it. But perhaps, actually, there were, there were ways when I could have simply said, this will transform your life if you accept Jesus. Uh, and perhaps I didn't do that enough and, and make it clear enough just how important our Christian faith is. Mm. So if I went back and was doing it all again, yes, I probably would do things differently. But it's, it's amazing how the Lord teaches you as you go through life. Mm. And you see things and you go, oh, oh, yes, Lord, okay. Oh, I get that now. We're none of us the finished article. We all have our walk of faith that will take us our whole life through. And we still won't be the finished article. And we will still come and stand before the throne. And we'll go, oh, I get it now. Now, even that bit makes sense. We thought we know, you know we see as through a glass darkly. But then we will be known, we will know even as we are fully known. God knows us now. We, we know so much of him. And yet when, when we stand before the throne, we will know it all. Mm. And, and how can we help but praise on that day? Mm. But um, Sorry, that's sounding a bit too much like a sermon, isn't it? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's that process of sanctification through becoming more like Christ. Yep. In those moments of acute stress and pressure, which clearly you have, have gone through. And I think that's, that's really why we wanted to ask you to come and we wanted to hear you. Because I think that we all are facing situations where we feel compelled to think in a certain way. And yet deep down we feel, no, that's not, <laughs> we can't. But we, sometimes we don't even have the, the language or the capacity to say no to stand up and so I think we're, we're just very very grateful to you Vernon for not only just for coming but for actually to articulating it and I think it would be clearly without preaching a sermon what bible verses would you say are have been the most helpful for you in shaping and you know and I think that process of becoming more like Christ as you have done in this in this process is it shapes you and you have to lean back into scripture more and more and you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit but I'd love to hear something of the, those verses that you feel have Thank been most helpful. Yeah, well, you, you kindly gave me advance notice of that question. So I have a Bible with me. Um, <laughs> and, and, I mean, there's, there is just so much. It's almost as if every time I open my Bible, I read something that makes me think, oh, yeah, that, that's right. That, that speaks to my situation. And I'm sure we all find that in our lives, in, in, in whatever we're doing. Um, but there's a, there's a couple of passages that... Have, have stayed with me through the whole thing. One is 
um, in Jeremiah, um, and what was it that I decided? Jeremiah um, 6, I think. I should have actually written down the precise verses. It's on the screen, actually. Sorry? 6, 10 to 19, yeah. So, um, there we go. It's almost as if someone knew. Um, but it, this this passage, I mean, it's it's... Jeremiah is warning the people of Jerusalem who, who think that, that the enemy approaching, they don't need to worry about. But actually, the, en- the enemy that is around us now is, is a world which is, is really quite hostile to Christianity uh, and doesn't get it. Um, so the Lord says, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised, they cannot listen. Does this sound like the world that we know? Um, Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street, upon the gathering of young men also. I preach in schools. Um, but the husband and wife should be taken, the elderly and the very aged. The houses should be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, and this is the bit that speaks really to me as an ordained minister. But of course, we are all prophets to the people around us in our daily lives. From the prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. How could I have carried on saying bland things when I could see there was no peace in the school? I couldn't any longer say peace, peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. I don't want to be among those who fall. Thanks very much. At the time that I will punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. The ancient paths. And walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So that's, that's one passage that, if you want to know why I gave that sermon, it's in that passage, as, as in so many others. Um, and the other passage that, well, this is the passage because it, it was a chapel service, so we had a Bible reading. So this is the, the Bible reading that I chose, and I think this sort of sums it all up, and it's probably going to come up again. Is it from John? Yeah. Oh, we got red wine. Eight, John 8, 26 to 32. Um, I have much to say about you and much to judge. Oh, dear. There we go. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. It all comes from the Father, doesn't it? And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Let's abide in his word, shall we? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.
And those, those six words, that's the whole gospel. The truth will set you free. When, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, Pilate asks him, what is truth? And the irony is, of course, that's the wrong question. Because the question is, who is truth? He's standing right in front of you, Pontius Pilate. He stands right in front of all of us, doesn't he? He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. How do we know the truth? Because we have the word. We have the Jesus that taught us God's truth, who showed us who is the truth. And does he set us free? By golly, he does. Because he broke the powers that stand against us. When Paul says... Um, the good that I would do, I do not do, and the evil I would not do, I do do. He's not f totally free because of all these temptations weighing in on him. He's not free from the things that stop him doing good, that get in the way. <coughs> and we all live our lives like that because we're not yet the saints in heaven. We still have this world to deal with. And yet we're not of this world because we know that Jesus had actually broken the power of death and the powers and dominions of the devil and temptation because on his cross he took that and destroyed it and he sets us free. We are free from the power of death and the devil because Jesus died. The truth sets us free. And... Well, I, I, I hope I live by that, that I'm becoming day by day more and more free in my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you for not preaching. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, I, I'd love to, <clears throat> I, I guess in some ways, you, you, Jesus is at the centre of our lives. And then we go on a journey, and I think that is what you have done, and that's what these verses, everything, that is what your life is demonstrating now. And we're just, we're so grateful for it. And I think in a moment, in a moment I just want us to almost to finish. I know you want, there's a psalm you want to finish with, but in a moment I just want to ask, what advice do you have for us? Because we have many of, many of us are in, you know, this, the public, public space and the public sphere, and but I think just, just before, just give us a very brief update. Where are you with your case, with your work, that, that sort of thing? What's happening in that situation? Um, yeah, so I, um, I brought cases for discrimination. Um, we had employment tribunal against, tribunal against the school. Um, and rather astonishingly, and I know I'm biased, but I genuinely think rather astonishingly we lost. So we've got an appeal in on that. Um, we had a hearing on Tuesday last week to progress the appeal and the judge says no we have to wait because there's another case going through the courts which is another case of Christian concern who've been helping me uh, are, are involved with that's going to the court of appeal and it relates to religious freedom and religious expression and, and will affect my case so the judge said we have to wait for that so we'll put another hearing down for March next year when we can think about whether your case can go forward. So hearing that case, that appeal, will not happen at the earliest until probably October next year. 
and then we'll have to wait for an outcome and further appeals if that's necessary and whatever. Um, my case against the, the church is in a similar position. Um, they, the, the tribunal ruled on a, on a technicality that we couldn't go forward with the case, so we're appealing that. Um, still waiting for a date for that appeal to go forward, but we're looking at, again, sort of October and then into next year before that can happen. So it will have been six, six and a half, seven years, who knows, from the sermon to, I trust, finally getting some sense of justice. Um, but in, in a sense, you know, um, that's justice for me personally, but that the God has given me the, the gift of being able to speak about this story to people. And you know, if, if everything had gone smoothly, I would never be in a position to say to people, look out, we're going through tough times as a society. Mm. And, and the church speaking into that society and Christians as members of the church you need to be alert and, and wake up to, to what's going on. Um, and and um, so the advice is um, be truthful. In, in any situation where you possibly can be, be truthful. And it's not necessarily talking about Jesus, though that's important and bringing people to faith. But just in yourself and your own integrity, be truthful. Um, there's a... A guy um, who was a Christian in Russia under the Soviets, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And um, one of his key messages was, live not by lies. He published a, an article in a newspaper in Russia um, called Live Not By Lies. It's an essay, and you, you can find it online. And the next day, he was exiled from Russia. They kicked him out for doing this. But he basically says, you know, the, the system against us, and he meant communism, but actually the, the powers and dominions of this world live by lies. And they, they enforce their power by getting people to lie to each other and pretend that they all go along with what, what's being said, even when in their hearts they don't really. But because you don't know that what's in someone's heart, if they're all joining in with the lie, you think they must agree with it. So his message was, live not by lies. Whenever you can, just refuse to lie. Just say the truth. And that's infectious. Because then it gives someone else the opportunity to speak the truth. And to live by truth. And to not put pronouns into their work email signature. Or whatever it might be. That's the little thing that you can do that says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because I don't think it's true. Don't join in with them live by truth because the truth will set you free Amen. the church is filled with men and women isn't it who've stood up and paid a price and you continue to pay a price and we want to stand with you in that in in a moment i'd love us to i'd love us to stand and bernard i'd like you to pray for us if that's okay um and then we'll just Allow God's Holy Spirit to come and shape us and empower us that we might be truthful and not live lies, you know. Um, Psalm 32. 37. Psalm 37. All right. I think that's the one I chose. Yeah. It's, it's a longish psalm. I might not read it all. Um, but this, this is one that has, has stayed with me ever since being quite a, a young Christian, 
Um, and being from the Church of England, the Church of England has very traditional worship services. Not all of the Church of England does, but they exist and they are used sometimes. And I actually, I really love the traditional language. Um, partly because it, it speaks, it, the language can be so beautiful. And when we express things beautifully, it speaks to us in an extra way. Partly because it's a reminder that Christians have been praying these things for generation upon generation, century upon century. We are not the first to go through these struggles by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and the people of Israel even before that. So that the, the traditional language carries that. But also the first line, if you read a modern translation, um, it's fret not thyself because of the, the evildoer or the wrongdoer, which is fine, but actually in this age, I don't want to say to my neighbor who hasn't met Christ yet, you're an evildoer. That feels a bit harsh. Maybe that's the moderate in me coming out. But that person hasn't got God. That person is in the position of being ungodly. Not because they realize what they're doing, but they just haven't got the message. And so it's the ungodly, the, the mass of people out there who think they're living good lives, and yet they aren't living the true good life that we know is available to us. And, and when the world is full of confusion and the, full of difficulty and things seem to be going hard, well, the psalmist felt that 3,000 years ago or whenever it was. We feel it today. People worshipping our Lord have felt it all the way through. But there are, there are words of comfort here. Fret not thyself because of the ungodly, neither be thou envious against the evildoers. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and be withered even as the green herb. Put thou thy trust in the Lord, and be doing good. Dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thou in the Lord, and he shall give thee thy heart's desire. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and put thy trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall make thy righteousness as clear as the light, and thy just dealing as the noonday. Hold thee still in the Lord, and abide patiently upon him. But grieve not thyself at him whose way doth prosper against the man that doeth after evil counsels. Leave off from wrath, and let go displeasure. Fret not thyself, else thou shalt be moved to do evil. Wicked doers shall be rooted out, and they that patiently abide the Lord, those shall inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the ungodly shall be clean gone. Thou shalt look after his place, and he shall be away. But the meek-spirited shall possess the earth, and shall be refreshed in the multitude of peace. The ungodly seeketh counsel against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh him to scorn, for he hath seen that his day is coming. The ungodly have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as are of, of a right conversation. Their sword shall go through their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. A small thing that the righteous hath is better than the great riches of the ungodly. And I'll leave it there, but you can go away and read the rest of Psalm 37. Meditate upon it. When life seems hard, as it will, Psalm 37 I commend to you. Can I invite you to stand, please? <clears throat>
Heavenly Father, we are thrown onto you again. We behold you, Jesus, our great advocate, that broken and frail as we are, you draw us into your presence. I thank you that you give us a new identity, but you cause us also to be agents of a change and agents of, a, of an identity in you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, come and fill us now that you would embolden us to be men and women aflame with the Holy Spirit in every circumstance that we find ourselves, O oh Lord. Holy Father, you sent your Son to show us the way, the truth, the life, to give us that life. And Father, in the world's confusions, when the powers of evil seem to be so strong around us, yet we know that Jesus has defeated them. We know, Father, that your Son died on the cross to bring us to himself, to bring us to be with you in the heavenly places. And so send out your spirit powerfully upon this church here gathered, your people, sons and daughters, your beloved children. They may walk in the ways of Jesus. But those on the beginning of the walk and those later in the walk may all be faithful and know that you have prepared so many good things for those who love you. And that at the end, reveal to each one of us here your true glory. That we may wonder at you. That we may praise you everlastingly. In the name of Jesus, the Lamb who laid down his life for each one of us. Grant that we may Share that knowledge with those around us and bring more of your children to walk in that truth which sets us free. Amen. Grant us freedom, Lord. Grant us the knowledge of your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if the, the band could come back, and I'm going to hand over to Lizzie and Jerry in a moment. Oh, yeah. Do you want to do it? Yeah. I just feel that before we move on, if you are aware of a situation at work that you particularly need courage, that you particularly need to say, I'm going to stand up in this moment for who my saviour is, um, I just want to, can I just ask you to raise your hand? Just put your hand up. That's good. Holy Spirit, we pray that those of us who sometimes like retreat, I want to ask, Lord, that you would cause us to be those who graciously and with kindness and with gentleness and respect stand up firmly for who you are, King Jesus. And I pray that there would be an anointing of the Holy Spirit that would come upon us that we would be your people in that situation. 
we say, help us, O Lord, in your precious name. Amen.